Uh, will you please turn to the book of Romans, uh, the book of Romans chapter 12. And we're going to be starting in verse 3 here shortly, so Romans 12, 3. If you'll go ahead and turn there and mark it, uh, we'll get back there here in a little bit. This morning we continue our series on belonging, where we've been talking about what it looks like to belong, to be part of the body of Christ, what it looks like to belong to our church. And we've been using the book of Acts as a, as a backdrop as we've talked about belonging, trying to learn from the early church. And in week one, we talked about how I'm in. And by saying that you are in, it means that you received God's grace for salvation. And once we receive God's grace, we want to show that to others. In week two, we talked about how I'm still in. Because life can be hard. The Christian life can be hard. We are not promised that life will be easy once we're believers. And in those difficulties, in those hardships, the Lord is, is growing us to be more like Jesus. And then last week, we looked at how we are in this together. Because the Christian life is not a life to be lived in isolation, but we need to live it with groups of other believers. We want to be in those groups so we can live out the one another's where we love one another, where we build up and encourage one another. We're, we're there to support each other. And this morning, as we continue our series, we are looking at how each of us is gifted, how each of us has spiritual gifts. In the book of Acts, in chapter 1, verse 8, we are given this amazing mission by Jesus. And what we find in Acts 1 is that Jesus has risen from the dead He's about to ascend to be with God the Father. But before he leaves, he gives his disciples, and by extension, us today, this mission. Amen. That through the power of the Holy Spirit, we will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, yes. in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so what we find in the book of Acts, from chapter 1 to chapter 28, which is about a 30-year time frame, is that this begins to take place that this mission that Jesus has given us is being fulfilled, Amen. that the gospel is proclaimed, and that people are coming to faith in Christ Jesus. But if we are not careful, we can misunderstand what is taking place. Because in the book of Acts, yes, individuals are coming to faith in Christ, but those individuals gather and create churches. And this is what we see over and over again in the book of Acts. That as the word of God is proclaimed, people repent of their sin, meaning they turn from their sin and they put their trust in Jesus Christ. And as these churches are gathered, these churches, not just the individuals, become witnesses of Jesus Christ. That these churches give testimony to who Jesus is and what he has done. And what we see take place is that these churches are making the invisible kingdom of God visible. And they're fulfilling their mission and being these witnesses by using the spiritual gifts that God gives each individual and each church. Now, when I talk about spiritual gifts, I'm not sure what comes to mind. Because for some of us, maybe we grew up in a church tradition and we talked about spiritual gifts a lot. Maybe some of the spiritual gifts were more evident in the worship service. 
Uh, some of us, uh, we grew up in a church tradition where we didn't talk about spiritual gifts at all. In fact, even talking about them makes us a little leery. It's kind of weird. We're not sure what it is. For me, I grew up in a Baptist church, and though we weren't afraid to talk about spiritual gifts, it was also something we didn't talk a whole lot about. And so my first real exposure to kind of looking at spiritual gifts in more detail uh, came at this youth retreat that I attended as a 16-year-old. I was a junior in high school. And this uh, retreat and this, all this talk about spiritual gifts was led by some college students. And so as part of the retreat in our small group time, uh, these college students led us through the spiritual gifts assessment. Now, if you're not familiar with a spiritual gifts assessment, it's kind of like a personality test. If you've ever done a personality test with maybe the Enneagram or, or Myers-Briggs, and so you go through all these questions and you're trying to figure out what are maybe my top three, top five, whatever, uh, spiritual gifts. And as you go through these questions, you have to rank them zero to three. So for example, a typical question would be something like this. I enjoy being called upon to do special jobs around the church. And so if you would answer with a three, that means that you always like to do this. If you put a two, that means uh, sometimes. If you put a one, that means just a little bit. And then a zero is, is not at all. And so you go through this questionnaire and you tally up the numbers. And at the end, it ranks your spiritual gifts. And there's typically in these tests like 20 or so spiritual gifts, such as hospitality and teaching and, and things like that. And I'm not sure what happened, but the way that I read this questionnaire in high school is that I thought the test included both positive and negative numbers to use when answering these questions. And I'm not sure why I thought this. I don't know if the format wasn't very clear. I don't know if my 16-year-old male brain was still being developed. I'm not quite sure. But I didn't read this questionnaire right. So instead of just having positive numbers, I thought there were negative choices. And so when I came to a question like I just shared of, I enjoy being called upon to do special projects, I wasn't into that as a 16-year-old in church. And so I was trying to be honest, and I didn't want to just put zero. Instead, I put negative two. <laughs> and then I got to the next question, something like, I enjoy taking charge of social gatherings which if you know me is definitely not. So that was an easy negative three, all right? And so I diligently work my way through this questionnaire. I get to the first gift that I have to tally up and it comes out negative. I'm thinking that's not good. And then I add up the second spiritual gift and it comes out negative. Now I'm starting to get a little panicky because this is almost a trend, right? And then I get to the third gift, and you guessed it, it comes out negative. And so I work my way through all these spiritual gifts. Again, there were like 20 of them, and every single gift was negative. And I'm thinking, oh no, I'm not even a Christian because I don't have any spiritual gifts. No, not really. What I was really thinking is, I'm an idiot, and I really messed up this test. But it got worse because one of the college guys leading in this small group time, he wanted us all to share our top three. And I'm going, please don't call on me. But we're going all the way around the circle. And so he gets to me and he says, Jason, what are your top three? And I said, I don't know. They're all negative. And he said, negative? How? I said, I don't know. I was just trying to be honest. 
And so what I did, I gave him my top three negative ones, you know. So instead of negative 20, I gave him the negative two and hoped that was maybe close to what he was getting at. So he just quickly moved on. <laughs> but, you know, even though I messed up the questionnaire, it actually kind of summarized, if you will, what I thought of spiritual gifts. Because I didn't know what my spiritual gift was. I didn't know if I could even ever have one. And I'm sure if we went all around this room, there's probably a lot of confusion about spiritual gifts. You may be thinking, you know, yeah, there may be spiritual gifts, but it only applies to certain, you know, ones in the church, maybe pastors or leaders. Or you may be saying, I don't know how to find mine. Where do I even start? And so that's what we want to look at this morning. So if you have Romans chapter 12, look with, look with me at verse 3. And the first thing that we need to realize when we talk about spiritual gifts is that each of us, okay, each of us has been gifted because of our union with Christ and our union with each other. Verse 3, for by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body, and each member belongs to all the others. In verse 5, we find this wonderful phrase of Paul that carries so much meaning, where Paul says that we are in Christ, meaning that when we admit that we are a sinner, where we repent of our sin and put our trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, Paul is saying that you are in Christ. But when it comes to our understanding of the salvation of Jesus Christ and what all that, that means, we need to understand this vital aspect that you and I cannot earn our way into a right relationship with God. And we cannot do this because of our sin. But yet, though we can't earn this right relationship with God, we are saved by the work of Christ. That the work that Christ did on this earth, his work of perfect obedience to the law of God, of his work that he did on the cross as he bore our sin and bore our transgressions. And because of the work of Christ, we now receive all the blessings that he earned. And so when we put our trust which is our dependence, our reliance on who Jesus is and what he has done for us, we are now in Christ. And so now we receive all these wonderful blessings that Jesus earned, that we receive forgiveness of sins because we're in Christ. We are justified, meaning made right in our standing with the Lord because of what Christ has done. And so we don't have to, to hide from our, our guilt and our sin. We can confess that to the Lord because it is, it is cleansed. And then we are clothed with the perfect righteousness of Jesus. We receive adoption because we are in Christ. Where before we were enemies of God, we did not desire him, but now God is our father. We are new creations because we are in Christ. And so now we have these new desires where we want to love him and be obedient to him. And we receive eternal life because we are in Christ. And so no longer do we have to fear death. So these are wonderful blessings. 
but also because we are in Christ, we are now in union with him. Do you remember when the Apostle Paul, who at that time was, was known as Saul, was converted on the Damascus Road? We read the story in Acts 9. And before his conversion, Paul hated Christians. He was even there when Stephen was martyred for his faith. And what did the Lord say to Saul when he met him? He said, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That seems like a strange way for Jesus to phrase this question. Because Jesus, as we find in Acts 1, had already ascended to heaven. He wasn't on the earth anymore. But as believers in Christ, we are so united to him that even when other believers, when we suffer, when we are persecuted, it's as if Jesus himself is actually suffering and persecuted. That's how close the union is. But also, as believers and followers of Jesus, not only do we have this union with Christ, we have this union with each other. As Paul says in verse 5, we are members that belong to each other. And what Paul is driving at is that believers from all ages and all around the world today, that we are connected, that we have this unity. This is the, the capital C church, if you will. You've experienced this, right? Maybe you went on a trip, maybe a business trip, and you, you ran into some other believers. You don't really know them all that well, but yet you have this connection with them, and you have this connection because of the relationship that both of you have with Jesus. But Paul is also talking about the little C church, and what I mean by that is the local church, our local church. And this is one of the reasons that we speak of church membership. Because as Paul says, given our union with Christ and with each other, we are members of one body. That's the metaphor that Paul is using. He's using the metaphor of the human body. And just like our physical bodies have, have different members, such as our feet and our hands, and each of those members has a function to do, so each of us in this room has a role to fulfill. And this is why over the last few weeks we've been pushing membership. And it's not for numbers. We're not trying to increase our membership role. The reason that we are pushing membership and talking about belonging is because we each have a role to play. Because we each have weaknesses, but we each have strengths. We have this great mission to reach people with the gospel of Christ so that they receive salvation. And so there are those in our church that are gifted to evangelize and speak the gospel. But we also want to grow people to become more like Christ. We also want to build up each other. We want to love on each other. We want to provide that support and lean into each other when times are hard. And this is what it looks like to be the witnesses of Jesus. That as a church, we are making the invisible kingdom of God made visible when we do these things. When as individuals, we come together as a church and use the gifts that God has given us. And we can be these witnesses in our community and around the world. Now, you may be saying to yourself, that sounds great. I want to be part of that mission. But how do I even find where I'm gifted? And so that's what we want to look at next. So look with me at verse 6. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. 
If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. In these verses, Paul, he lists out seven spiritual gifts, and basically you can list them in two categories. Now, the gift of speaking and the gift of serving. What is so interesting is what we find here in Romans, if you compare that with another list that Paul gives in 1 Corinthians, is not all the gifts are the same. There are differences. And so the point of that is that the list that Paul gives here in Romans and also in 1 Corinthians is not an exhaustive list. Paul is not listing all the spiritual gifts that we find in the local church. And I find it very helpful what Doug Moo, he's a a prominent New Testament scholar, writes. He writes this. These texts suggest that Paul, and presumably the early church, generally recognized a small number of well-defined and widely occurring gifts, along with an indefinite number of less defined gifts, some of which may not have been manifest everywhere, and some of which may have overlapped with others. And so what Mu is getting at is even in the early church, these churches that Paul was writing to and that he established, is that some of the gifts were clearly defined, gifts such as teaching and leadership and giving and encouragement. But what Mu is saying is that there were at that time and also today an endless number of gifts that are less defined. And I love that because it is so freeing. Because we can read these lists that are found in Romans and 1 Corinthians, and we try to find just our one exact gift, and this leads to all this stress and all this pressure. But a better way to think of your gift is in terms that you have a collection of gifts. So do you remember in, in art class in school where you did some painting and you had the, the primary colors of, of red and yellow and how you would mix those together and what do you get, orange? Depending if you put more red or more yellow, it might be a bright orange or more of a burnt orange. And thinking of your gifting in this way is closer to what your gifting is like. Because your combination of gifts differs to different degrees. And so your gifting is unique. So don't worry so much about finding your exact type of gift. So just to give an example, we have some in our church that have the gift of serving but also they have the gift of mercy. And so when they serve, it is very compassionate and merciful. But also they are looking to serve in areas where there needs to be compassion and mercy, where people are hurting. We have others in our church that have the gift of serving in leadership. And so their they're serving is not so much looking for compassion, though they're loving and compassionate. We're all called to that. But they serve where they can use their leadership gifts And so they're involved with some of our committees and and things like that. And so as you think through your gifts, don't worry so much about finding your exact gift. But instead, think through your gifting like it's a unique color. And hopefully, as you think of your gifting in this way, it will be more freeing for you. Now, as we think about our spiritual gifts, we do want to help you in identifying them. So I want to ask you some questions. I heard these from some pastors talking about spiritual gifts, kind of how to help identify them, and I thought it was very helpful, and I want to share it with you this morning. So question number one, what are you passionate about? 
Do some self-examination here. So what gives you passion? What are you interested in doing? But also as you think about your passion and your interest, are there things in our church that, that maybe you notice that there's a gap, that there's a need? And if that's you, don't think so much, hey, somebody else needs to fill this. It may be that the Lord is calling you to fill that gap. Question number two, what are you good at? Well, what you're good at in your, your career or your job is not always an indication of how the Lord has spiritually gifted you. This is a great place to start. So think through, what are you good at? You know, maybe it's, it's with kids. Or maybe it's with hospitality. So think about these different things that you are, are good at. Question three, what do others tell you that you are good at? I love this one because so often in our gifting, we are like the last person to know what our gifting is. So often people on the outside notice our gifting. And so we want that external feedback because it might help clarify what our actual gifting is. But also, we want to be humble when it comes to our gift because sometimes we can think, I have this, this one particular gift or these collection of gifts when, when you actually may not. So you want to be humble to get that external feedback because you don't want to spend all this time and all this effort if the Lord has not actually gifted you in that area. And then the last question, what opportunities are available? And I think this is the most important because most of the time we don't discover our gifts until we begin to serve. And this is the experience of so many in our church where we just see an opportunity. We're not even sure if we're going to like it, but we begin to serve there. And the Lord, as we serve in this area, begins to reveal and show and clarify our gifts. And so if you don't know where God has gifted you, no problem. Just open yourself up to the opportunities that you see here in our church, inside our church walls, but also on the outside. And I promise you that the Lord will begin to reveal how he has uniquely gifted you to serve our church. If you've been reading along in the book of Acts as we've gone through this series, or maybe you've studied the book of Acts in the past, the book of Acts kind of ends abruptly where we read about the Apostle Paul. He's under house arrest in Rome, and Luke, the author of Acts, he writes this. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And then the book just ends. And we don't know what happened to Paul. Did he get out? Where did he go? But the point that Luke is making is that the mission that we were given in Acts 1 to be witnesses to the ends of the earth is beginning to be fulfilled. Because in Acts, we see that the gospel did go to Jerusalem and then Judea and Samaria. And now it is going to the ends of the earth because at the time that Luke wrote Acts, Rome was considered the ends of the earth. But yet, in chapter 28 of Acts, it still seems to end abruptly. And the reason is this. It's because the story is not done. For the last 2,000 years, God has been using the local church to be his witnesses in spreading and displaying the glory of Jesus Christ through our words and our actions. And this task would be impossible if it were not for the power and strength of the Holy Spirit. 
And this task would be impossible if God had not gifted his church. But God has gifted his church, and he's gifted our church. And so we are God's witnesses here in Platte City and the surrounding area by being the church, by using the gifts that he has given us to proclaim the gospel, to serve, to show mercy, to give, and the list goes on and on. And so what a great mission and purpose that we have. And so let us be the church. Let us be the witnesses of the Lord Jesus Christ. Let us make the kingdom of God, which is invisible, visible to a world that is broken and hurting.